Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome back to the DMZ, everybody. So, as folks may or may not know, on our new platform, it does not allow for any editing. This is just raw, 100% pure, Matt and Bill, real life. So I'm just warning all listeners that we're doing this Wednesday morning, not super early in the morning, but both my children are still asleep. And I'm on the back porch. They're going to wake up and be like, where are my parents and why is nobody feeding me breakfast? So if we hear like blood curdling shrieking in the middle, I may have to tend to that. And then you'll have to just riff you know, yeah. for, for a minute or two. Uh, I mean, I want to be clear. One, one could edit. Um, it, it, it's, it's theoretically possible that someone, a producer, let's say, could edit this but that is beyond the scope of my technical capabilities and so we've decided to go with you know we're gonna do it live as bill you know so this is this is a roundabout way to say if you give us huge amount of money via patreon yes we could hire a producer to do that or still do this and just pocket that money either way yeah it's going to be a net benefit for us and i would argue that there is something to be gained from the spontaneity of the live performance. You don't, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. I don't know. Anything could happen. It could be caught live. So there, maybe there is some benefit to like a live performance, but whatever the case may be, we, it, it would really be difficult. Yeah, I could probably tape it together, the audio for the audio podcast, which by the way, is now searchable, uh, you know, on iTunes. Um, we could tape the audio together. The video is beyond the scope of, of my abilities to, <laughs> to edit. So here we are. Fair enough. Um, so what what do you want to talk about? Well, I want to start with you, Bill, because um, hmm. I had hoped that we we're going to get back in the routine of doing these weekly and that I got a text saying, oh, by the way, I'm out next week. Uh, <laughs> so we didn't we didn't do last week. So I think you owe us uh, a little recap of how how your week off was you know ju just a little family vacay um you know where i live we are it's about a four and a half hour five hour drive to montreal um and you know we typically we typically do the cape which is sort of standard massachusetts vacation um but uh my wife who usually is the vacation maestro was too busy to orchestrate this year and it was on my shoulders and I'm a procrastinator. So by the time I got around to it, like all the Cape stuff's booked up. And I was like, let's just, let's just, let's just, let's just drive somewhere. Um, and so I sold the kids on Montreal because they like poutine. I was like, let's just eat poutine every day in Montreal. They're like, yeah, let's do that. Is that like, is uh, that like crudité? What is poutine? It is not. It is poutine not sounds very dirty. It sounds like something well, well, it is. Poutine is very lowbrow. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it's French fries and gravy and cheese curds, um, uh, and um, and so you know it was always sort of like this mocked dish for Montreal. Like this is how pathetic Canada is. Like this is like their their thing. But now, of course, you can get it in America, and there's and even in Montreal, there's like souped up, you know, fancier versions of it. But it's still, at, at best, it's you know middlebrow. Um, and there's also in Montreal a cat cafe, the cafe that has like eight cats uh, just roaming around. And so the kids heard about that and they want to see the cats. So that's why I sold them in Montreal. So you uh, went to a cat house to get poutine. You can't get poutine at the, at the cat cafe. Um, <laughs> Let me just say, uh, I, I've always wanted, I've never been to Montreal. I've always wanted to go. Should I go? It seems like a cool place. You definitely should go. I mean, like. Uh, and I'm not going to say I'm like the expert, like all to do all there is to do in Montreal. It's my second time that I have gone, but uh, they have one. You know, it's it is a bilingual city. Um, you, I think, I think by law, the storekeepers have to greet you in French. You have to start by talking French. You know, they they try very hard. You know, the, to the you know the French separatists want to maintain French culture. They don't like the notion that English is creeping in and ruining the place. Now is that uh, is but, that considered conservative or progressive? That that's a that's an interesting question, isn't it? I I, I don't want to pretend I'm a 
bigger expert on Quebec politics than I am. I do think the sovereign French speakers lean right. Um, but I'm not sure that it's like it's like that's a clean, yeah, simple, you know, determination. Montreal, I did learn, has a very left mayor, uh, first woman mayor, um, a new party uh, that is like an, an environmental, like a municipal environmental party just for Montreal, and she beat out like a center left candidate five years ago and just won the rematch last year. Um, uh, Does she know how to party? Does she dance? Does she do like she's she's TikTok not as young as the or... Finnish prime minister, but she is. I think I think she's forty eight. Um, we should talk about that, by the way. We should talk about the Finnish prime minister. Um, so anyway, uh, so if you want like like a taste of France, but not actually going to France, I think Montreal is a good good way to go. Is it uh, what's crossing the border like? Is it is it difficult or easy? Did you very easy and stuff? You do need a passport. Um, we actually made a mistake because we did not realize that kid passports expire earlier than adult passports. Adult passports are 10 years and kids are five. Hmm. So we glanced at our passports like, oh, 10 years, we're good. And we didn't like, glance at their passports. We get there, they're like, you know, this one's expired. We're like, sorry. And they, and they let us through. Um, so, you know, don't bring in fruits or vegetables and otherwise. They didn't, they didn't you know, do fam family separation at the border. They did not. They did not. That's good. So it wasn't that long uh, a process. You're just driving to a checkpoint. Um, and so we found good, we got, we found good poutine. We went to a 24 hour place that had 30 different kinds of poutine. I got mine topped with smoked meat. Smoked meat is also a Montreal thing. Um, I didn't go this time. There's a deli called Schwartz's, which is known for their smoked meat. Um, so you definitely should do that. Uh, Montreal has its own kind of bagel. Um, it's a little, it's a little a touch sweeter. Uh, you still see me, Matt? I'm getting, a, I'm getting an error message. I still see you, but I'm, I'm alarmed by the alert. So okay, now we're now we're back. Um, so we went to a famous Montreal bagel shop. Uh, and I went to a, a poutine place called the Orange Julep, which is. Kind of like a kind of like a fifties style drive-in place with a giant orange structure, like a giant orange sphere, because the orange julep is their signature drink. Um, and when we came, so we we only did a few days in Montreal. We also went to a place called the Biodome, which is kind of like an indoor zoo with a different, uh, like like a tropical rainforest area and a polar area and a and, rain, and a woodsy area in with indigenous animals there. Um, then we did a, then we went to a lakeside cabin just over the border in Vermont on Lake Champlain. And this, this is my big tip for anyone who wants to do, to go do, uh, do Montreal and you're driving up I-91 through Vermont to get there. There's a poutine place on the Canadian side of that border called Gilligan, which is definitely by far the best poutine that I've had. And it's kind of hard to like Google it and find like articles about it. My wife spotted it with some Googling. Uh, but like I, like you could stay in Vermont, do a, do a lakeside cabin and go pop over the border and get Poutina Gilligan and come back. You know, it's that, it's that close. Um, I, you know, and, I, now that I'm in charge of the videos, <clears throat> when I edit these things and put it on YouTube, I, I'm trying to, uh, to title it something that's search engine optimization that might get searched, but otherwise, man, this would be the poutine episode <laughs> already if I were headlining it like the old DMZ days, but I guess I'll come up with a different, a different title. Probably. There's also, we, 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 we didn't do this. There's a giant Ferris wheel in the middle of the downtown area. There's a place called old, there's old Montreal, which has neat old architecture and fancy shops and restaurants. Also the, the a Notre Dame church is there. It's an old, an old Catholic church. You know, so, so it's really being in Paris and seeing their Notre Dame. You can see the Montreal Notre Dame. Um, and it's right on the, there's a, there's a river there. It's right on the water there. Um, and I believe there's some, there's some beaches, which we did not do. There's some Montreal beaches in that area. So there's a giant Ferris wheel that you can ride and get like a big you know, 360 degree view of the whole city. So there's some other Montreal tips I got for you. It's funny you mentioned the, uh, the, the Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, when I used to live in Old Town Alexandria, and there's like a trail, a park, and they have like a miniature Washington's Monument that's like 
I don't know, five feet tall or something. <laughs> and I used to think how funny it would be for me to like try to like take foreigners there and tell them that that's the Washington Monument. It, yeah, it, it looks a lot bigger <laughs> on TV. This is, you know, <laughs> get to take pictures with them and be like towering you know, over, over the Washington Monument. It's almost like right. the Stonehenge, Stonehenge, <laughs> which we can trample. Um, anyway, I guess we should talk about politics. And Bill, let's start with the elections. So we're taping this Wednesday morning uh, again. Uh, not too early, not too late. Um, primaries, obviously, but uh, what mostly we have we got one special last one special. Night. What were your takeaways? Well, I mean, the, I mean, the big takeaway is New York nineteen, Hudson Valley. Um, this was where Antonio Delgado uh, won a big race in twenty eighteen. Um, a race I always argued was underanalyzed because if that was the race where Republicans played every race card imaginable on him because it's a very, it's a very white area um, and, and a bona fide swing, you know, red, blue divided district. And he deflected all that. You know, that was the, the Andrew Gillum lost to DeSantis, Stacey Abrams lost to Brian Kemp. And here's Antonio Delgado uh, deflecting a lot of racist attacks with a lot of ads with him around white people saying, Antonio Delgado, he gets it. He, he, he's one of us. Um, he didn't, he didn't do like an Uber left kind of campaign, but so now he got tapped to be Lieutenant governor under Kathy Hochul. So it's an open seat. Uh, this is, a, and Biden won the district by 1.5 points in 2020. So again, this is, this is very purple and it's a midterm year. Supposedly Republicans are on the upswing. Inflation's bad. And and Republicans got a strong recruit in Mark Molinaro, who ran for governor uh, four years ago. But he has a, he's, a, he's an elected official in the area. He has. Did, a did we determine if, if he's related to Susan Molinaro? I, I don't believe he is. Um, but he was someone who was considered like a center right, fits the district, known commodity, and all the polling suggested he was going to beat the Democrat Pat Ryan, who also elected official is the Ulster County Executive. But there's several counties in the district, so Ulster is not enough and on its own to, to get you to, to 50. Uh, and Pat Ryan ran laser-focused on abortion. Uh, Molinaro, in the, I believe in the assembly, had voted, had a pro-life voting record, but was like, hey, I'm not, not going to vote for a national ban. This is settled. You know, leave it up to the states. In New York, it's gonna, we're pro-choice, and I'm cool with that. Um, so he tried to deflect, but Pat Ryan beat him. It looks like by four points. So, he, so Ryan did a little better than Ryan. Uh, and this is one of several specials. You know, the other specials Democrats haven't necessarily won, but they've overperformed relative to Biden with the exception of that Rio Grande Valley, Texas one where the Republican, Republican, the Latino one. Um, so uh, it's definitely making Democrats feel like, hey, you know, we're in this thing, you know, with this, is, this is not looking like a normal midterm year. And abortion is, is one of the reasons why. Yes. Um, well, let's talk about that. You know, I, again, I, this has now become cliche, but, but everybody was really thinking this was going to be a wave year for Republicans. Joe Biden's approval rating, very low. Uh, inflation, gas prices were very high, and it just seems like that is uh, is not materializing. Now, who knows? We've still got you know three months or something like that. It's a long, it's a lifetime in politics. But um, is do you think the abortion issue is is the reason, or or is it a a bunch of reasons? I think it, I think it's more a bunch. I think it is a significant one, but uh, I would not. I would not necessarily assume we can know at this point that it is the reason. When you see the issue, you ask, what's what's your top issue in the midterms? Abortion's moving up, but it's not the number one. It's not like outpacing inflation. It's still mainly the biggest issue for Democrats and necessarily independents. Uh, but we do have the Kansas example. We do have an example of even people who are not you know, hard left people 
concerned about abortion rights. Uh, and now here's a, and so I think one of the open questions in New York 19 is, was this turnout? Did Dems boost their base turnout to win this? Or was there some swing vote that helped them along yeah. the way? I don't think we have like the answer to that. Um, but to my mind, we have a number of factors here that we can't easily separate. Um, we have the abortion factor. We have Democrats passed a bunch of legislation in the past month, some bipartisan, one big one that's partisan, the climate health care tax reform bill. So I think at minimum, that is staving off some base erosion. You don't have a faction of the left saying, what's the point of voting for these idiots? They don't even do anything. You know, the sense that, hey, we've done things. Um, inflation has slowed in the past month, uh, both gas prices and in general. Um, and we have a lot of terrible Republican candidates, not, not in New York 19, but as far as the Senate goes, we have, you know, Dr. Oz, Blake Masters, yeah. Herschel Walker, um, and the incumbent Ron Johnson, who's a, who's a weak incumbent. Um, uh, it doesn't seem like Adam Laxalt is that strong in, in Nevada. Um, so you have a slate of candidates who are were a better candidate could have made a race competitive. And that's not to say that all these people are like sure losers, but as far as if the if the polls were accurate and the election was today, Democrats would gain two seats in the Senate, not even just hold status quo. Wow, let me uh, Bill, let me ask you. Um, I'm going to interrupt you to praise you. I feel like you were the first person I heard saying this, saying that. Uh, I think there's a chance Democrats are going to hold the Senate because Republicans are running weak candidates. Were you the first person to point that out or were you? Yeah, I wrote a real clear politics piece. Um, you know, let me see if I can find that piece quickly. Uh, I'll also say that I wrote in May 2001 that if Roe was overturned, that's going to be bad for Republicans. Um I, I, I mean, I there was there was data to back up that point that early. Uh, so again, I can't say that, like I've been definitively proven correct, but it, there's certainly signs in, in August that direction. <laughs> I wrote in August of 2021 that column, but uh, but then I backtracked. So it doesn't count. <laughs> right. um, so it was. So this is what you get by, you know, doing this live and uh, not editing. Uh, so June, early June 2002, I wrote, in the Wait. race for the Senate, Republicans not sitting their best. 2002? That was really June, two, June 2002. Well, this, this year, 2002. So that was... 2022. Uh, no, sorry, You were like way ahead of the curve <laughs> on that one, man. So that was two and a half months ago. But okay, but I, you know, again, self promotion here. This is the reason people tune in to us. Uh, wisdom before it's conventional. I feel like you were the first person to point that out. It's become cliche now to to say. Well, I, well, were you this the was first person, or had I, you heard like did Steve Kornacki say it or something, and you were, you know, just popularizing it. Not, I mean, not to my knowledge. I mean, maybe he's maybe someone else said something. I believe I wrote that soon after Oz, right? This is just after Oz won the primary, but before the crudite video. Yeah, so, yeah. Be well before that. Be like, well. like now I think Oz has become the poster child of the bad Republican candidate. And I wrote that before Fetterman really went to town on him from being from New Jersey and tied you know, Oz into knots. My point was you already had in the poll data that Oz ended that primary underwater in his favorable, unfavorable rating. He was chewed up enough in the primary process before Fetterman even got to work on him. Yeah. Uh, and now you're seeing Fetterman, you know, has played a strong hand, you know, very, very well and made Oz do a, a national laughing stock. Um, 
So, uh, and let me and, just and say, uh, uh, Fetterman, either 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 Feather, Fetterman has an army of online trolls that he has cultivated, or he just has a cult of personality. Because I wrote a piece this week at the Beast where I sort of dinged Oz and Fetterman. Um, you know, just this race of rich rich people uh, pretending to be populists, and 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 in the case of Fetterman, he pulls it off. Fetterman feels like a normal guy. Oz, obviously, with the crudite, that has not pulled it off. But um, but because I dared to write something mildly critical of Fetterman, well, I think I kind of caught him a phony, but whatever. Um, I I can't tell you the emails and the tweets that I've gotten from outraged <laughs> people. It's funny because I I've always been bullish on Fetterman. I think I've said this. On I think you have been. You've been you, you've been ahead of the curve on him. Absolutely. Uh, and there was this weird. Um, I can pay both my children are are awake. You know, Laz is going horseback riding in the afternoon, so she's going to be spending a lot of time not watching TV. If you want to watch right now, go ahead and watch. It's a question of screen time. Know. Question of screen time rules. <laughs> when do they get to watch screens? Um, uh, You've been bullish on Fetterman, right? Right. For, for and years, so I would say I would say this early on in the Pennsylvania primary, where there, all these Connor Lamb people would yell at me in the thread, like Fetterman's unelectable. He's a Bernie. He's a Bernie crowd. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm getting attacked for being too left on Twitter. What's going on here? Where did this, where did moderate Twitter come from? <laughs> defending, defending Connor Lamb. Um, but my point always was that, it, you know, Federer wasn't strong because he was a Bernie guy. Federer was strong because he has a personal brand of being, you know, a true Pennsylvanian, uh, being one of us. Uh, and I, I understand your point that, hey, this guy is, is a trust fund kid who got to be a part-time mayor because his his parents, you know, compensated him while he was getting paid 150 bucks uh, a month as mayor of Braddock, uh, and you know, I I don't think Fetterman has hid that fact, which is why I think phony is strong, but definitely doesn't fit with the brand. He doesn't like put that in bright lights. Yeah. Um, um, but I'm just warning you, Bill. If if you love Fetterman. So you're, you're fine. But uh, let me just say, there are people in this business, you will discover uh, that there are certain people that elicit a strong response that, that, that people will be protective of and defend. And other people, other people that you could say bad things about them all day and nobody cares. Well, I mean, Federer always had a fan base. He's had a fan base for a long time. That I think was a bit more narrowly Bernie-ish. And now that's much broader because now he's just, he's showing how good he is at, at developing a personal brand and weaponizing that brand, uh, using it to tie his opponent into knots. I mean, and, and the Republicans picked the absolute worst possible candidate to match up with Fetterman. Do you think uh, now Dave McCormick? This is three rich guys, right? Dave McCormick is—is is it Dave McCormick or was that a pitcher for the Orioles? I'm not. I sure. forget. And who even cares at this point? Whatever the guy's because. name was was a, a a big time hedge fund broker uh, that Oz beat narrowly, very narrowly, only because of Donald Trump's endorsement. The guy seems like maybe a Glenn Youngkin, Mitt Romney type. I wonder, would he have really been that good of a? I'm not sure he would I mean, be. It's, it's hard to be as bad as Oz has been. I mean, Oz is just an every possible thing wrong. It's, what He's is just so like, weird is that you would think that Dr. Oz, having this, you know, huge name ID, very popular, um, Oprah had really, ele by the way, Oprah has elevated some of the biggest monsters probably in history. Um, but, but Oprah, you know, he had nothing but positive fluff attention. I'm sure I, I think I, I read that among women, especially, uh, he was popular and, and, and had high, high likability and name ID. Um, and it just didn't work. Ala Pundit over at Hot Air, who's, do you ever read Ala Pundit, Bill? Only, I think, when you tweet him and I catch him that you link to. 
I don't know who the guy is in real life, but he's really good. Whoever it is, <laughs> is, is very insightful and a very good writer and, and, and had a point about, um, I, I wish I was just paraphrasing here, but he said something to the effect of like, you know, Oz is ridiculous, but so was Trump. But the ways that Oz is ridiculous like do not resonate with like Republicans or populists and the way that Trump is ridiculous actually does do. Well, I mean, I mean, Oz has essentially taken every nibble of bait that Fetterman has thrown his way. And in that respect, he's like Trump. Trump also, Trump also takes every, every piece of bait, but Trump had a much better, way much better sense of humor. Uh, two had a much better bond with the uh, right part of the Republican electorate. Uh, and so he could come back at you, you know, tenfold and, you know, dominate the free media coverage. You're t- so you're, whatever it is you're talking about, you're talking about what he's saying. What's weird though, Bill, is, uh, if you took Dr. Oz and you watched him on TV, or if you went to a convention and heard him speak, I think you would be like, wow, I, this guy is is charismatic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's obviously, you could play the identity politics thing. Maybe it helps him, you know, that, that he is um, not a standard issue white dude. Um He's and he's actually like knows something. I mean, I know he's kind of a quack doctor, but he's like a cardiologist or something. He is like highly. I'm sure. I mean, Trump's a, Trump's a quack businessman. I mean, you right. you can well, you can fix that a long, a long way. You take Trump and Oz and you put them both on TV, and they both in that element, which is stacked in their favor. They look charismatic, and then you put them on politics, and Trump looks bigger, and Oz looks smaller. I mean, Oz is not, I mean, I mean, tr- what Trump did was an extension of his own blustery, narcissistic brand. Like, it, I mean, he, I think he took it further to the right than he had to. He could have, he could have run up the middle. Um, but it still, it, it wasn't far flung from the kind of person he always was. Um, so maybe if Oz uh, were running as uh, a Democrat in an era that wasn't supercharged with populist machismo, he would have been a better candidate. Well, I mean, not to be a Democrat, but Oz could have run as your friendly neighborhood doctor, you know, a nice guy who tries to help people, you know, not be sick. Uh, and instead, he's running like a wannabe Trump. I see. And like getting into all of these online arguments with Fetterman when he could have just ignored it. He could have just ignored all the online stuff Fetterman was throwing at him. I mean, he could have, didn't have to indulge. Um, didn't have to do the, the cutesy so, videos. This goes to the phony thing. What you're saying, I think, is Oz is temperamentally not well suited to run a you know bare knuckled populist brawl, and yet he is posing or pretending to be that kind of guy. And Fetterman's actually better at it than Oz is. Oz could have spent June and July while Fetterman was laid up, barnstorming the state, lots of small town halls, maybe with some kind of uh, like a Ross Perl-like PowerPoint presentation where Oz could say, you know, I'm a doctor, but I'm also an entrepreneur and I can tell you the economy is sick. And here's why the economy is sick. Good, Bill. Here's should hire you. <laughs> here's three charts where the economy is sick, and here's and here's my remedy for it. And it's like Fetterman doesn't even have to be part of the equation. Make it look Just like sell make yourself. It, make it look like a TV set. Like you're going to like make it a give it a little celebrity appeal. People would use his own TV set. I mean, be in your comfort zone. Like take your set and like bring it on the road. Make people feel like you're in the studio audience with him. They get to see a celebrity. Except instead of diagnosing just so, you know a person's health, he's diagnosing the the economy's health. You know, people are making jokes with his old tweets. He had this whole series of, like poop tweets. Oh, <laughs> people making fun of right, people making fun of right now. 
Like he could have used that himself. He could have gotten ahead of all this. And like made a little jokey thing with like him talking about your poop and like, and then make some kind of poop joke about the economy. Like he could have turned all these things around to his benefit. And like, and like, cause Trump has a, Trump has certain self-deprecating aspects about him also. Um, you know, there, there, there's, there's so many ways he could have done this, just run on his brand and his platform. And so he's like, Fetterman sets the tone for this entire thing. And he did it while he was recovering from a stroke. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, the only thing that really worries me about the race is at some point they're going to have to have a debate. And like Fetterman's been out there and like, he's clearly got like 90%. He's not 100%. I don't know. Well, I saw a video and now again. I'm sure it's selectively edited or at least selectively chosen. But uh, Fetterman did not seem to be 90%. He seemed to be 60%, maybe. Oh, okay, that's subjective, but definitely not 100%. Uh, there's, there's, there, there's a halting quality to his speech now, um, which he said. Like, he's not, he's, I mean, he's not pretending. He said, like, my speech is not perfect. I got, sometimes, I, sometimes I'm, I'm grasping for a word. Like, he's, he's said as much. Um, and the question becomes how much has he inoculated himself from concerns about it? Uh, and the biggest test is going to be when they're in an actual 90 minute debate and you can't edit anything. And, and people are, are, I mean, he did a, he's in a couple of campaign appearances, but for the most part, you see a two minute clip on the local news. You only see a bit of it. You don't see the whole thing. The debate, you'll see the whole thing, or at least more people will. We'll have to see how well he comes across then. But that's, yeah. that's like the only hope for us at this point is that uh, Fetterman looks like he's not up to the task. I want to go back uh, to Oz real quick. Do you believe that one of the problems with Trump is that every Republican now thinks they have to be Trump? And A, some people are not temperamentally suited to it. There should be different types of candidates, different styles, different temperaments, all of that. Uh, And B, like... Trump is really good at what he does at being Trump. You're not gonna out Trump Trump. And like it, it, it strikes me that maybe the fundamental problem with Oz is that it, rather than trying to run to his strengths in a way that was comfortable and, and, and suited his um, personality and experience, he felt like he had to run in a sort of a macho populist manner. And is that, was that sort of the, um, fundamental flaw to the whole thing? Well, I mean, it's a flaw across the board. I mean, Trump has determined the Senate slate of candidates. Um, did did he endorse Laxalt in in Nevada? I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe he was out of, he stayed out of that one, but I don't know. But he, he picked Oz. He picked Herschel Walker. He picked Blake Masters. He picked J.D. Vance. Um, uh, he picked Ted Budd in North Carolina. We haven't talked about that race very much. Um, and that's, I mean, what minimal polling we've seen is that it's close there. Um, uh, he even half-picked Eric Schmidt in, in Missouri. <laughs> um, Eric. So, you know, this is a, this is a Trump-determined slate. And they're all... Weird. Well, okay, okay weird but me, candidates. But I think in the case of Oz specifically, maybe the thing is because the key to Oz winning is he had to get Trump's endorsement. Yes. Oz there therefore maybe has to run the type of has to become the type of person that would win Trump's endorsement. Well, not, but to, but that's the primary. I mean, he doesn't do anything like that now. I know, but I'm, he, what I'm grappling with here is, so I don't think the flaw was picking Oz necessarily. Because um, isn't there a scenario where Oz would have run the campaign that you're describing and he would be up by three points right now? Um, I mean, I think Fetterman's a strong candidate on his own, but certainly this, this could have been a much more competitive race with, with a competent campaign. Look, the, the Crudite video, where Oz says he's at uh, Wedner's, Wegner's, when he could have been at a Wegmans or a Redner's, but not a Wegner's. Look, people say, you know, blurt out inaccurate things all the time. You know, 
You're probably going to make a big deal about the show. I mean, right. look, look no right. further than this. Yeah, that's why I feel like people are overly mean about like you know, Kamala Harris repeated herself three times, and Obama said fifty-seven states when he meant fifty-seven contests because there are caucuses and you know, Virgin Islands stuff like that. Yeah, um, and feel like over people try to overplay these things to make it seem stupid when. Uh, you know, common sense tells you, like, they're just being normal human beings. They're not actually, they don't, they don't really believe that there's 57 states and people in extemporaneous speech repeat themselves sometimes. That's not an unnormal, abnormal thing to do. Uh, in the case of Oz, you have a weakness that you are a carpetbagger. You literally did a video of your New Jersey New York suburban mansion for People Magazine two years ago. Like you, there's strong evidence you are not really from Pennsylvania. Carpetbaggers win win contests sometimes, so that's not necessarily fatal. But you have to be yeah. careful and, how you present yourself. Well, and so, I think also certain regions are are more it matters more in certain parts of the country sure. than others. So you're cutting a video. It's not a live stream. It's a video that you can edit. <laughs> yeah. And you do take. Wait, presumably Oz doesn't have the same problem we have. I'm guessing that's that someone right. could edit uh, his video. You edit video. You cut the video. You say the name of the supermarket wrong, and nobody on the campaign team catches it. Not a single. I mean, you have yeah. to be a fifth generation Pennsylvanian to go outside and look up at the sign and recognize you sent the wrong supermarket name. Yeah, he needs to it hire someone. His- from Pennsylvania, whose only job is to walk around with him everywhere, uh, seeing if he says something un-Pennsylvania. So my point is, his team doesn't get Pennsylvania. So that says to me that this is this is just a flawed operation from top to bottom. I think that's a good a good point. Staff work matters, um, and 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 so this is not only indicative of. Of Oz being a carpetbagger, but of of a campaign that is not very well run at this point. Um, let me ask you this: uh, aside from Fetterman's stroke, it strikes me that there is another issue, which is where he like subdued an African American jogger or something. Uh, but these things these things came up in the primary. So when he was mayor. But- but I mean, if you're, if you're desperate and you're down by five points or, or worse, uh, maybe you throw a few million dollars behind telling this story. I don't do people like I don't know to what degree this is widely known. I mean, his opponents in the primary try to make a thing of it. Um, uh, I I saw the Babylon Bee took a shot at Berman about it. Their their piece. There's also mocking eyes. Um, I just don't think it's a very strong general election attack. I mean, it just makes him look more badass. You know, he, he, he went out with a gun and tried to subdue a criminal. Now he, he got he, he got the situation wrong. The guy wasn't the guy wasn't armed. He was African American person well, that, was running down. That's a big problem, uh, right? But you know, he didn't shoot the guy. Uh, he apologized for it, uh, more or less, uh, and. It didn't hurt him in Braddock. He still got reelected in Braddock. He still has the cred of being someone who was mayor of this town for a long time is credit for improving the quality of life for this majority black town. Um, so uh, it doesn't strike me as being the strongest attack line for a Republican to take. I mean, I wonder, uh, what, there- what if you found the guy? And and you put him in the video. I, it, so there there have been occasions, Bill, where there's something everyone thinks is out there. We think it's been litigated. We think we know it, and then and then it hurt. It does hurt. The the, the best hope is that you would erode some of his African American support. So you would erode some of his base support and make a race. You know, and and, and support he would need to win the general. If you're losing by nine points. That's not going to do it. That's not going to be enough. Maybe some part of a larger scheme, but. He's got a much bigger problem in that this has become burned into people that like Fetterman's Pennsylvania and Oz is not. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Fetterman's got to really screw up at this point. And that could be 
a debate performance where he looks like he's not all there, you know, to, to, to be a real game changer. Well, what's interesting, Bill, is that, you know, Donald Trump lost re-election, which used to brand you a loser, a one-term president, uh, was, was not, you know, was, was not good. Um, you know, he, he, he lost the Senate. I mean, he single-handedly sabotaged the Senate. He loses the House uh, during his presidency. Um, and, and now if Donald Trump in, endorses this slate of candidates and they go on to lose, you know, Donald Trump's record of everything he touches dies, you know, continues. Mm-hmm. And yet he still would have, I, I still think he has the, because he commands this power over the Republican party, there is still a sense that he is magical and that he is um, bulletproof. And, and, and it's just so weird that even though I think we're, you know, accruing all these data points where you could really just empirically prove that Donald Trump has been disastrous for the Republican Party. I think he could lose. We've talked about this before. I think he could blow the Senate because of his endorsed candidates. And I don't think it's really going to matter that much. Well, he, you know, Trump got the Senate candidates not because he commands 35 percent of the party, but because he commands, you know, a third to 45 percent of the party. And people won pluralities in crowded, crowded fields for the most part. Um, so. Uh, if those candidates all go bust in November, some Republicans—I uh, don't know about publicly, but he's probably going to recognize that you know Trump is Trump is dead weight. Now, what would really you know throw Republicans for a loop is if they lost the House too. And you look at the 538 projections—they—they they have Democrats winning the Senate, you know. You know, a two two thirds probability of Democrats winning the Senate, roughly, but still Republicans heavily favored to, to keep the House. And uh, I, I, I'm not in a position to say that's wrong. Uh, you know, I, I just wrote a piece for Real Clear, looking at the generic congressional ballots. That's you know, various forms of the question: Who do you plan to vote for in November for the House? The Republican or the Democrat. That's why it's generic. It's not for the, there's no names attached to it. Um, uh, and as it stands, um, it, that's not enough. You know, so in the 538 average, Democrats are ahead by 0.6 points. In the real clear politics average, Republicans are up by 0.2 points. You know, it's essentially a tie. Uh, and in the real clear politics number, Democrats have gained 4.6 points since late April. Um, that I think I think it's they've gained three points in a similar period for 538. So that's unusual. It's unusual for the president's party to gain to gain ground late in the game in a midterm year. The traditional pattern is, and there was there's an academic paper about this that was published in 2010 that. The generic ballot at the start of the year tends to look more like the president, the previous presidential election. And over the course of the year, the out party makes the gains. Uh, and you generally see that being true in the years after this paper was, was published. Um, now, it's still possible that there could be a momentum shift the other way, that Republicans could still, for whatever reason, you know, developments break, inflation jacks up, you know, um, scandal, who knows. But um, I'm not saying it's a given that the Democratic momentum through August organically continues to September, October. We have, we have to wait and see. Uh, but the fact that they've done as well as they have is unusual. Uh, and the only times that we've seen uh, late trends for the president's party have been in 1998 and 2002, which has happened to be two of the three times since Reconstruction where the president's party has gained House seats in the midterms. Um, so we... I think this then brings up another question, was, which that is that was an impeachment and a, a terrorist attack. Right. So 1998, 
the Star Report is released in September of 1998, and the House votes for an impeachment inquiry in October. So you had late break. So the Democrats were not making great gains in the summer. It was only after those points where they started. And, and it wasn't to say a clean line. It's kind of zigzaggy. But the, the Democrats do end with a lead in the generic ballot. And, and you know, that 1998, I'm looking at Gallup numbers from 1998 because we don't, we don't have averages to look at. Um, I'm sure if I had access to all the poll data, I could make an average, but I didn't. So I was looking at Gallup. Um, so they were, Democrats were up four in Gallup. The House popular vote, they actually lost by a point, and they didn't win the House. Republicans kept the House, but uh, Democrats did gain seats. So it was an indication that Republicans were soft uh, for that midterm. Um, in 2002, you know, 9-11 is 2001, uh, Democrats were actually, actually made a little bit of ground uh, in the early part of the summer. But then by, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up years. I'm sorry. Um, forget, I can't, I have to go back and look. Um, but um, the point is, in, uh, I think there was, we're doing relatively okay in the middle of the year. Again, they're the out, they're the out party in 2002. Um, but in the fall, you have the Iraq war authorization vote in October. Uh, and again, it's not, it's not necessarily a clean line, but you do see on net Republicans making gains in the fall there mm -hmm. and, and gaining seats and actually flipping the Senate that year because they, that, that tipped their Democrats way when James, Jim Jeffords switched. Um, so if, 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 if Democrats can continue this momentum, that could we already we already see the polling show Democrats keeping the Senate as it stands. Um, could they win the House? Now, what I think we don't know is we don't have a lot of race by race data for the House. Uh, so we look at the generic ballot. How good does the generic ballot have to be? I mean, right now they're tied. Probably a tie in the generic ballot is not good enough to hold or win seats. But the, the conventional wisdom is that Democrats have to do really good in the generic ballot to overcompensate their wasted votes in blue areas, to overcome the skew of the map and the redistricting. Um, but we have four Democratic wins, not just midterms, for the House. We have, in the past uh, 20 years, we have um, 2006, 2008, 2012, and 2020. Oh, no, 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 sorry, no, 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 um, in 2020, it is a single digit margin. The generic ballot was like six points and the house popular vote was about three points. So they, they underperformed relative to the generic ballot. So that would argues that you Democrats want to, if they want to replicate 2020 and keep, keep a five seat margin, they got to do that again. Possible. Now there are other there are other midterms, other House elections where Democrats overperformed the generic ballot. It doesn't always run in one direction. In the ten House races, six Democrats underperformed real clear politics average, and four they overperformed. So we don't know. We don't know. Just now in how in New York nineteen, Pat Ryan overperformed what polls that were available. Um, so. All I'm saying is it is technically possible that Democrats could uh, meet or overperform the average. And it is possible that whatever that popular vote is aligns with the seat share. Because the last two House elections, 2018-2020, House popular vote and House seat share have been basically the same. 
Uh, so it's not that they have to overperform in House popular vote to keep the House. Now, there is redistricting this year, and the Cook assessment is Republicans have gained three seats through this current round of redistricting, which is something, but it's not a huge amount. So, again, I wouldn't feel confident about the generic ballot with it just being a tie. I'd feel better if it was you know, six, seven points. Um, but I don't think we have to, we can say like it has to be six, seven points because yeah. we have other complicating factors. So I just think the net of all that is we don't know. <laughs> we don't know how the House is going to look based on the data that we have. All right. Well, we're at the 50-minute mark, Bill, so we should wrap it up soon. But before we go, you have been um, a voice crying in the wilderness once again. Uh, this time, warning that Ron DeSantis, everyone assumes he's just going to coast to re-election and he's going to parlay that into a presidential run. And you've been saying, well, you know, hold on, maybe not. Bill, last night there was a gubernatorial primary uh, in Florida, and I'd love to get your assessment of what we learned and how, if you've reevaluated your thoughts on DeSantis. We well, you know. Um I thought that Christ was probably the better matchup for DeSantis. I mean, I think the way to beat DeSantis yeah. is to say, this guy doesn't even want to be governor. This guy's already running for president. This guy just did an ad where he called himself Top Gov, pretending he's Tom Cruise, flying in a jet, and running that ad in Ohio. He's not running to be governor. He's running for president already. He doesn't care about you. Uh, I'm Charlie Crist. I've been your governor. Um, you know me. You By know way, I care Charlie about Florida. Chris not only was governor, he was like the most popular governor in America at one point. And he didn't, and, you know, he didn't lose re-election. He jumped into the Senate race in 2010 and lost that. Um, now, maybe, I mean, you know, he, you know, he was trying to be a moderate governor. He embraced Obama. He embraced the stimulus. He angered Republicans. So he jumped out of the party, ran for Senate as independent against Rubio, your best friend, uh, and um, and then got the Democrats split the vote because there was a Democrat on the race, and so we lost that. He tried to run for governor in 2014 against Rick Scott uh, in a general Republican year, almost won. That was a one. That was a one point race, if I remember correctly. It was sixty five thousand vote separation, and, and Rick Scott spent you know untold amounts of money, I'm sure, and right. of his own money. And then Chris got back in the game by running for Congress, and I was a congressman. So I think, you know, Chris could argue, hey, I care about Florida. I've always cared about Florida. I, I, I ran the government well when I was your governor. This guy doesn't even care about you. He's using you as political props so we can run for president. Uh, I, I just think he's a um, – and he looks like a sober, you know, down-the-middle kind of guy. Um, so I think, it, I, I think there is a good matchup there in theory. Um, and winning the primary going away also helps with party unification. Um, what rattled me last night is a story from NBC, NBCnews.com, surveying a bunch of Democratic operatives all saying, oh, yeah, we're screwed. Oh, there's no way. There's no way we can beat his ass. Look, he's got $140 million. No way we're going to match that. He's got Florida is too red. Like the best we can hope for is to kind of, you know, make him spend some money here. You know, but forget it. This is this is a lost cause. Uh, so, uh, it. I mean, at a minimum, like like they could be wrong, they could be prematurely surrendering, but it certainly doesn't help Chris raise money and try to minimize that fundraising gap by putting the message out there that this is a lost cause. So, you know, Chris at this point has to do something, or you know, a magical pull has to come in where it's closer than expected to get people to believe. Like Beto in Texas is not running that close to Abbott. It's kind of like a five, seven point race there. But he's working it so hard. Like he is out there stumping in, you know, every red county possible. And, and the guy just gives good copy. He's, 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 he gives good quotes. He's, he's good on the stump. You can get good video clips. Like he kind of makes you want to believe. It feels like uh, he's, and he's getting his mojo back. I remember with the first time he ran against Ted Cruz, I thought he had a lot of talent and seemed pretty cool. Then when he ran for president, he just he he turned into Dr. Oz 
Um, and that the was, president was the stupidest thing possible. Like he should have been like a Texas guy. And yeah. I said this at the time, like run for Senate, run for governor, like show you care about Texas. Nobody you know, build a Texas operation, you know, you know, expand that. Nobody you know, anymore wants, everybody wants to be national. Everybody wants to be famous. Nobody wants to like be, be local. I don't blame them, but you know, but I think you're right. Like sometimes um, doing the right thing is is also um, beneficial for yourself. I think Beto was. Now, I, I, and I'm and I'm I'm not bullish on Beto winning the governor's race because the polling doesn't back it up. It, it seems like his 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 gun rhetoric from the presidential is hurting him and holding him back. Um, uh, but at minimum. He he's he makes enough people believe that he's raising money, so he's he's at least compete. He can compete. He has enough resources to compete. Um, so the question now, Chris is a lower key guy, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it actually is is a nice contrast with DeSantis, who is like this in my mind, a totally unlikable troll who like doesn't who's like fighting Disney, fighting like the biggest you know uh, com- company in the state. I mean, there was a bulwark. The Bulwark um, site uh, published a focus group report of Biden, so of Trump to Biden voters in Florida, and they're upset with with DeSantis picking on these fights and going after Disney. Um, now, a Trump to Biden voter is not your median Florida voter because Trump won Florida and Biden didn't, but it's it's some indication that they're. People exist in Florida who are unhappy with DeSantis. He's not like universally beloved. Like he may win because it's a 52-48 state. Um, but I would think the right mix of factors would make that, a state like that competitive. Uh, one of those factors is probably money because it's an expensive state to play in. Uh, and that, I worry now that Chris can't won't have the resources to compete. But if a poll number comes in or Chris comes in, you know, roaring out of the gate and like really brings the wood to DeSantis in some way that again is on brand, uh, that 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 can make that contrast really pop, then maybe people start to believe again. But that that initial survey of democratic sentiment was not what Chris needed. All right. Well, we're up against it, Bill. Another great episode. Uh, what do you want to plug? We can read that every local politics piece. Um, and uh, do I have anything else of, of uh, what I have in uh, the monthly? I can't remember anymore because I went on vacation. Um, you, you you plug something while I try to remember. Well, all, you can always uh, support us at patreon.com slash billshare or patreon.com slash Matt Lewis. Also, uh, you should find the... so. This podcast, this audio podcast, you may be listening to it on the Blogging Hits feed, which I hope will go in perpetuity, but but we're told it's going to disappear. It's going to go away. Uh, and so what I would recommend is if you go right now and just search DMZ or DMZ show um, on iTunes, you will find a uh, the new feed that has the, the avatar is basically the Run DMZ logo. Um, the Run DMC <laughs> logo. It's red and black. Subscribe to that. Please rate and review it. That way, um, even if Blogging Heads quits carrying our feed, you will still have us, the audio of us. Um, and if you are listening, I would also ask that you go to youtube.com slash Matt Lewis and subscribe, um, like, rate and review, all that stuff. It helps people find us and uh, we need to be found. Bill. Uh, and also, there's also a um, uh, buzzsprout.com feed, um, which is the podcasting service that we're using. Um, so uh, you can get the, get the podcast. And if you go well. to our Twitter feed, which is at DMZ Show, we have tweeted out all these links as well. You can find them there easily. Um, so the, the Washington Monthly piece I had last week was about Trump's plans for the civil service. There was a big Axios report um, uh, last month about how Trump wants to bring back this called Schedule F, which he briefly issued at the end of his presidency that would reclassify a bunch of civil servants 
or a senior level and take away their workplace protection so they can be fired for political reasons. Um, and uh, so I had a piece talking about one, how this is longstanding desire from conservatives predating Trump to uh, break the civil service. And two, the Senate could do something right now to prevent that executive or such an executive order from going into effect by uh, passing those things, preventing such a reclassification. The House passed something in July and the Senate could follow suit and get out to Biden's desk if they so chose. So check out that piece yeah. at the Washington Monthly. Oh, and also, um, and I do have to run, actually, I got to run out to a lunch meeting. But um, for those of you who listen to the podcast, at least go check out our YouTube channel because we have a new intro that we are using, a new video intro that we are using for this show. And it's it's proven to be controversial. Some people love it. Some people hate it. But I'd love to get your take. Uh, let us know in the comments what you think. And uh, with that, Bill, we will see you back here next week. No vacations in the DMZ. All right. Take care. You guys.